As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Wednesday, April 28th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. On this episode, we will talk about April risers and looking at hitters and pitchers on this episode. Plus, we'll take a look at the closer carousel after one month where we write about a few of these uncertain closer situations and what direction are some of the current unsettled closer situations likely to go in the months ahead. So, Lots to get to on this episode. You know, let's start off with the biggest April risers among hitters. Jesse Winker, who was just outstanding. Uh, really, every game so far this season, it feels like he's doing some damage. Uh, homered again last night against the Dodgers. You can see, if you're watching us on YouTube, 94th percentile now in barrel rate this season. And really just doing everything we kind of hoped he would do as a prospect now that he's healthy again atop that Cincinnati lineup. Yeah, and I don't I've talked about this a little bit before where like uh I fall for gradual progression, you know, <laughs> and and like I don't know if it uh, is any better than gradually like non-gradual progression <laughs> like we'll talk about someone later in this one that kind of took a huge leap forward and and you know uh, sometimes I struggle with that because I just feel like, ah, oh, regression's coming. Even even if I like what he's doing under the hood, like there's regression coming. But for Winker, it's like the barrel rate went up steadily over time. The exit velocity went up steadily over time. Uh, max exit velo has actually dropped, but that's just, a, I think, a thing that happens as you age. So uh, basically, he's just gotten better at lifting the ball. Um, and I don't know that he's necessarily figured out how to face lefties. I'm not, I don't know that he was necessarily more terrible than other people. Uh, but I think that just the way the Reds are constructed, they realize uh, we kind of, we need an everyday player there. Um, so for the most part, playing every day, slugging the ball like we thought. The one little wrinkle that's interesting to me is that, uh, this is the worst season by far for chase rate for him. Um, and, uh, it hasn't meant that his whiff rate is necessarily worse. Uh, it hasn't been terrible for his contact rates. So I don't know, maybe it just means he's being aggressive, trying to get on that front foot and, uh, hitting for power. But, 
he's a he's a guy who like maybe three years ago I pegged as like having the hit tool and and could possibly add the power. And I think this is kind of what I expected for him in terms of progression. Yeah, especially in that park kind of makes the power play up a bit. But I think that barrel rate supports the idea that that power would work just about everywhere. Uh, entering play on Wednesday, Winker has a hit in 12 straight games. He's homered in three straight. So seriously, every day when you look at the box score, Jesse Winker, oh, he got a hit again. He's still still crushing atop that Reds lineup. Uh, let's talk about Nick Solak for a moment. He's a guy that I like this draft season, and I don't have him that many places because I think a lot of people were into him. We looked at him as a guy that clearly had a role to call his own, and if you kind of took the best of Solak in the previous two seasons, again, very limited opportunities in Texas, a total of 91 games with the Rangers prior to 2021. We saw some speed in the shortened season. We saw a little bit of power in 2019 once he started to get that playing time. And we did see nice plate skill. We saw a double-digit walk rate two years ago, and we saw a K rate under 20% last year so if you mushed it all together you got a really nice player if he could do all those things simultaneously and so far he's doing everything except for the low strikeout rate that's the only real concern i have with the approach right now is that nick solak is striking out 28 percent of the time this season and he's walking less than he ever has in the big leagues but for this start i think you'd make that trade-off the question is does this approach actually work for him in the long run and here's a guy that sort of follows that, what I'm saying, a bit of a jump forward. You don't really see that nice progression when you look at his barrel rates or his swing rates or anything like that. He kind of just popped up. <laughs> and and I don't know, like I kind of almost, it's almost like a philosophical question, which you prefer. I, I think that the numbers prefer Winker. You know, the numbers prefer that steady progression because they're going to do the regression. They're going to do, they're going to look back at the old stats and that makes sense. But people also pop onto the scene and you kind of have to throw in some of the scouting, I think. Because with Solok, the idea was this guy can hit, he just doesn't have a position, you know. And so I kind of wonder, you know, how people feel about that in terms of, you know, I think, you know, I, I the story that I tell is that kind of Starlin Castro story where it's like, Every year, he's getting better. He's getting better. Like, look, he's just a little more isolated power, a little more this, a little more this. And this year, he's going to go 30-30. And that was the year that he totally fell apart. Um, so, <laughs> uh, you know, I don't think that, uh, you know, just the just the progression alone is enough. But and I and I and I do have a, a, a one at least one prominent. I have fair, I have a fair amount of shares of Solok, but it's weird for me too because I didn't buy him for this. I bought him. No. For a decent average and like 15 steals, but I thought he might hit 15 homers for the whole year. So I thought I was getting 280, 15, 15. Instead, I'm going to get maybe 280, 25, 10, which, you know, I can handle it. I'll take it. Yeah, you'll, you'll <laughs> trade a few bags for the extra power for sure. And I think because of the makeup of that Rangers lineup, he's pretty safely in a prominent spot. And I think the other thing that really kind of stands out looking at this profile He's hitting the ball in the air more often. You see a year-over-year -year improvement with that. He was hitting the ball on the ground 52.9% of the time when he arrived in Texas back in 2019. He brought that number down to 48.8% last year, and he's brought it down again thus far in 2021, down at 43.3%. So if he keeps hitting the ball in the air at this rate and barreling balls as often as he has or even close to that rate, I think that 25 home run cap you put out there that, that's actually attainable i'm also curious to see how the ballpark 
in Arlington plays over a full season because it looked much more pitcher-friendly than expected in 2020. But to me, that wasn't enough time to say, okay, it's a pitcher-friendly park, lock it in. So maybe that's part of the the intrigue for me here with Solak as well. Yeah, the, the, the two places where you might see a little bit of actual just uh, slow, slow progression the way you might want to see out of someone who's slowly improving is that ground ball rate went from 53, 48, 43 by Savant and then uh, topped balls went from 43 to 37 to 30, you know, 30, about the same, but a little bit better. So I just think, um, you know, there is something here for, for uh, Solak that there is some, uh, some good improvement. You know, the, I, I worry a little bit about that chase rate. You see that on the screen right now on YouTube, 33rd percentile chase rate. Um, it doesn't really line up, though, with what he was last year. I mean, this is, this is what I'm talking about. Last year, he was 66th percentile in reach rate um, uh, and uh, 23rd in barrel. And this year he's 33rd in reach rate and 88th in barrel. Obviously, I'll take the barrel rate. Uh, so maybe it's not a big deal. Um, maybe he still has that in him, the ability not to reach. And maybe he'll have to kind of go to that when people start respecting him more as a power hitter. Yeah, that's definitely something to keep an eye on, though, because of all the players we're going to talk about, the 33rd percentile chase rate that Nick Solak has, that is the lowest of the bunch. And there's a few guys close, but you don't want to be the bottom in that category, especially when the K rate has followed suit to this point. Let's talk about Carson Kelly. He looks amazing on paper, and look, he's looked amazing if you've watched the Diamondbacks this season too. 340, 508, 766, only 17 games because you know he's a catcher. He's not going to play every single day. But he's got six homers. He's already hit more home runs in 2021 than he hit in the entire shortened season when he had five. This is a massive step forward for Carson Kelly early on. You know, we're talking about a guy that when he had his breakout in 2019, the first time he ever got to be a starter, 18 home runs. I thought that was kind of a ceiling for him. Maybe you get to 20 with more playing time. Hit 245 with a 348 OBP. I just felt like I thought I knew who Carson Kelly was and a 92nd percentile reach rate and a 92nd percentile barrel rate make me think that I probably underestimated him a little bit. Yeah, 26-year-old, you know, uh, could just be a peak year. But when you look at the stuff under the hood when it comes to the reach rate improvement, um, I saw a, I saw a little thing today, um, you know, about reach rate improvers and the best reach rate improvers. I don't think Kelly makes a lot of these lists because catchers don't qualify for the batting title for the most part. Um, I think that this would actually qualify as one of the sort of top five reach rate improvers in, in the big leagues. Um, I mean, just going from like he went from both sides, you know, to the other side, like he went from being pretty bad at it to being, you know, sort of top 10 ish at it. I mean, what do we have on the screen right now? 92nd percentile reach rate. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I had Kelly tabbed as one of those guys along with Sean Murphy um, that would just allow me to wait on catchers, um, at least second catchers or first catchers in 12, 15 team situations. So um, I don't know that I have that many shares though, so I can't really do any sort of victory lap. And I will pre predict some sort of regression um, on the barrel side because he was 20th percentile in barrels last year. And, you know, you can play around and say like, oh, you know, 
he has enough batted ball events where there's a lot of signal here. That's true. Um, how many batted ball events is it? 38. He doesn't even have enough batted ball events. You usually want to get to 50. So I would say there's some signal there, but I would expect him to have the best OBP of his career by ease, by easily over that 348 in 2019. Um, and maybe the best power of his career, but I'm not extrapolating this out. I'm going to give him another sort of 15 homers. So he ends the year with a 275 average, 21 homers, and like a 360 OBP. Pretty sexy. It's a really good pick where he was going because I was a little bit skeptical of Kelly in part because I was a believer in Dalton Varsho. What happened in draft season, though, was Varsho got so expensive that I didn't get Varsho. And because I didn't believe the playing time was going to be there, I bypassed Kelly. And that has absolutely worked against me. Some of the the late catchers have been bad like they always are. So uh, definitely a missed opportunity to get a well above average contributor. How many catchers do you think? And I, I didn't do a query for this. This is just sort of occurring to me as we're, as we're talking. How many catchers do you think played somewhere else for a little bit and then ended up catching? Played a different position and then ended up behind the plate? I mean, you have Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, but I don't think that's a really good example because he, he's not catching. Yeah. Um, Austin Barnes played a decent amount of second base second? and then yeah. came back and really became and a regular a catcher. Cat. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, what was the progression on Craig Vigio? Other way, catcher out to the field. Yeah, catcher second center, I think, was his his progression. I remember there's like Josh Willingham was like a catcher and then outfielder, but I don't think he went back to catching. Definitely didn't go back. Schwarber, they thought he was a catcher, yeah. wasn't. You don't didn't go back. You don't see a lot of guys go back behind the plate. With Varsho, yeah. though, were they moving him because they don't trust him, or were they moving him because they have faith in Kelly and they just want to find a way to play both? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> good. Good answer. No, uh, I I think the book's still open. We don't even know what he's doing at the alternate site, right? Like it's just. Could be, could be catching, catching push ups, a little bit of everything, <laughs> you know. Let's uh, let's talk about Nate Lowe for a moment. Another Ranger off to a good start so far. Six homers early on, slash line sitting at 267, 353, 500s. So everything looks pretty good there. The K rate's down too compared to where it was last year. I think you know, Nate Lowe's probably always going to be a guy with a decent bit of swing and miss in his game. I think the rate reach, the rate reach, the reach <laughs> the rate. 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 The reach rate being 81st percentile is actually a surprise for me, but he does walk, so maybe he's just swinging and missing at pitches in the zone, and there's some holes that big league pitchers can exploit. All that being said, I love that he's getting volume and taking advantage of it because he's someone I've long believed in when he was more of an up-and-down guy with the Rays. You know, he actually, I think, of all the players today, has shown the least improvement. <laughs> I mean, that is like a compliment, you know what I mean? Like, but he wasn't bad to begin with, yeah. He wasn't bad to begin with, and um, uh, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm trying right now uh, to, to furiously to... <laughs> we did preparation for this show, I promise. <laughs> we have to. To do on-screen graphics, you have to have prep done. <laughs> yeah, but I'm also trying to uh, do a query here because I feel like if Savant would help me, please, Savant, just... Oh, there you go. There you go, Savant. Come on. You can do it. You can do it. All right. Here we go. 
Um, so the the, be- the the thing on him was that he couldn't hit velocity, right? Oh my god, it's doing it by pitcher. <laughs> yes, that was uh, part of the the knock on Nate Lowe. As so, I filibuster to uh, yeah, yes, filibuster let, let the search more. continue. <laughs> no, okay, okay, here we go. Uh, I just had to. Oh my god, could I be really good at this? This would be really great if I could be really good at it. Uh, okay, here we go. Last year, Woba on pitches over ninety four miles per hour, one seventy five. That is poor. Uh, average is like. Well, right now, what was down across the league? People were talking about it. What's the what's the the culprit? The culprit is strikeouts. That's the culprit. Strikeouts are at twenty five percent. Anyway, uh, I digress. His woba on uh, on pitches over ninety four this year, two thirty one. His ex woba was the same in both years. Uh, those aren't amazing numbers, but let's see here. What do you think the league average number is on pitches over 94? Hmm. By like 250. All right, so he was at 175, then 231, and the league average Woba. Yeah, that's surprising. 306. It's 306 on, on those pitches? Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely higher than I was going to. I, mean, I was at, I was at 250. That's a pretty big God, leap. Guys are pretty used to this sort of thing, huh? It's a strange flaw to have in today's game because there's so many guys throwing hard. You yeah. see the velocity. It's not It's not like you're surprised by it anymore. You know, 20 yeah. years ago, a guy throwing 95. Oh, we've talked about this before. Here's the guy on this team that throws 95. Or maybe they got a second one. Now it's just about everybody. Average velo right now is 93.9. So I just, I'm, I just did a query for slightly above average velo. Well, I think the, so. The, I guess he still has that flaw. I don't know. Is he just punishing uh, sliders? Uh, of the six home runs he's hit, three have been against fastballs, three have been against breaking balls. So I, uh, that's somewhat encouraging. Yeah, I I like what I see. I mean, I I think he's a little bit sort of your prototypical. I mean, I know he has two stolen bases. He's a little bit faster. He's younger than a lot, but you're kind of your prototypical modern hitter. Where he's, I think he's going to have a low batting average, okay OBP some walks and a lot of strikeouts 28 to 30 homers projections the rest of the way the bat has him at 253 339 454 19 homers that's in 111 games he would probably end up playing more than that if he's healthy they're just giving him every day run are you at those numbers over those numbers or under those numbers a little bit over like i said he has, he's doing exactly what he did last year i'm a little surprised the bat x is the low man on this um, and I'm going to give him like 24 more homers. So he ends the year with 30, 260 average, 30 homers for the year where you got him, You're really happy with that. And that plays in shallow mixed leagues too, at least in the corner infield spot, if not at first base, even because the, the run production should be there. Despite the fact the lineup around him is bad. His prominent place in that lineup should be good enough for those stats to be comparable to other power. Virtually first no base change. In his max EV or his barrel percentage, which are things that matter in short samples. I mean, he's he is who he was. It's kind of amazing. So we probably couldn't talk about early risers without talking about Jazz Chisholm. And unfortunately, he landed on the IL on Wednesday morning, suffered a hamstring strain while running the bases earlier this week. So it's probably going to be at least a couple of weeks before he's back in the fold. But I'm really encouraged by what we saw. And I was 
trying to think about this just from the lens through the lens of if we were drafting again today, where would I actually draft Jazz Chisholm for the rest of the season in a 15-team mixed league? Because he was probably at best a fringy top 300 guy a month ago. And now I think you could probably argue him at least into the conversation as a top 150 overall guy. And I say that knowing he's been more like a top 50 guy to this point. He's been excellent so far. Yeah, and and as much as I I like him, um, you know that strikeout rate is is pushing it. I mean, he's got a thirty percent strikeout rate. Um, I had some people sort of uh, wonder about you know Hira versus Jazz <laughs> and what we'll see in year two out of Jazz, and will it be like Hira? Uh, I guess it's the, I guess the question is about. If it's a if it's a hole like a specific hole, right? That they can, or if it's like um, like where do the strikeouts come from? Where do his strikeouts come from? I think that matters, and I think it comes from a slightly different place than Hero. Because when I look at Jazz's swing rights, I actually see a guy who doesn't swing a lot. Forty percent swing rate is something that Votto has done. So. Given he doesn't swing so much, his swing rate on pitches in the strike zone should be higher. Like, if he was a guy who swung a lot more, he might have like a 45% reach rate. (laughs) It's like he doesn't have a good distance between his zone swing and his his reach rate, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, and I was looking for the the Hira comparison. Hira, for his career, has swung 50.8% of the time so far. That's a big difference. Mm-hmm. So Hira is swinging a lot, and he's reaching a lot, and uh, he's got a he's got a very specific hole. Jazz, I think, um, isn't amazing at discerning balls and strikes, but he just has a naturally sort of passive "I'm going to wait you out" approach that I think works. You know, like if we're going to get ten percent walk rates and thirty percent strikeout rates, and then he's going to squeeze the most as he can out of the batted balls which is, I think, kind of what he's doing, 94, 94th percentile barrel rate, um, then he can be a guy that can maybe hit 240 even if he has a 30% strikeout rate. So I go back to the conversation we had about minor league K rates, and I think George Springer yeah. was the other example, kind of the opposite of Hira, the guy that struck out a lot in the minors and over time whittled that down in the big leagues. And I, I wonder about a few things. The first thing is whether a hitter can have a flaw that minor league pitchers simply can't exploit. So in this case, if we've said before, Keston Hira has really struggled with high velocity, there might not be enough good high velocity in the minors to find that And not just high flaw. velocity, but high in the zone where the umpires aren't as good. So if you are a guy in the minor leagues that throws a high fastball, you might just walk a lot of people because you're, you're not getting that call. And so, so maybe it's not being honed in the minor leagues as much as it could be. Yeah, and and that would, you know, that would be the 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 question. Then is okay if if Jazz was just kind of more passive the entire time and was striking out because he was too passive. That's not indicative of a player who has a hole that hitter or that pitchers are going to exploit. So again, that's the hope. It's possible that he's got holes that pitchers are going to find. His swinging strike rate is is lower than it was in the minors. I don't know. I, I just wonder if he's more like Springer in terms of how Springer came through the minor leagues than someone like Hira. 
And there were there were scouts. There were a lot of scouts who said this was coming for Jeff. Yeah. I mean, it takes a lot. I'm sorry. I'm a Zach Gallon fan. So, but it takes a lot to, to, I think to, to, to send out Zach Gallon. It's a little bit different. Like Caleb Smith was older. The fastball velo is already declining, more of a two pitch pitcher. But Zach Gallon is kind of what a lot of teams want from a pitcher, you know, a guy with command, velo, and four pitches. I mean, they, they took a real leap of faith in trading Zach Gallon for, for jazz so they they believe this was coming it's interesting too though when you look at jazz's projections because they were bad because the debut was bad and because there was the the leap from double a to the big leagues they're, they're still, still bad, bad even with we're talking about 240 they're 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 ranging around 207 to two. and i think that's a big part of why his adp was as low as it was and why there wasn't that much buzz about him during draft season he was just buried if you used any projection system to run dollar values and rankings for your league, they were going to steer you away from jazz. You had to have scouting reports and prospect analysts who'd seen him, who believed in the tools, pushing you to draft him. Price wasn't much, but it was just a a case where it was really easy to talk yourself out of him based on the numbers that those systems were generating. Yeah, I I had a couple shares over time. One, I just sort of jettisoned for before the season just for almost nothing <laughs> good Oops. good job uh the other one the other one hung around because uh nobody wanted him from me <laughs> on my, one of my rosters and now he's my, he was my starting second baseman so um yeah i i can't uh claim any sort of victories on this one and and it still it points it sort of needles me in that one sort of bias that i have against guys with high strikeout rates and it's like you know gotta stop doing this it's a, a bias I have as well. And then on the pitching side for me, it's guys with high walk rates. I just, like mm. Ian Anderson. I missed on Ian Anderson. Framber Valdez wasn't in on him right away last year. Like, I'm, I'm always slow to those players in both cases. It's, it's the one skill for each player type that I'm most concerned about just from the, the broad view. Uh, Yuli Gurriel is doing a ton of damage early on. And if you're watching on YouTube, you're looking at that 45th percentile reach rate and 36th percentile barrel rate, and you are confused because it doesn't make sense. And it never does for me with Guriel. When <laughs> when the sign-stealing scandal came out... Primo hit tool. Yeah, it's a great hit tool, but I, I just thought, well, there it is. It's it's the sign-stealing. That's how he did it. I, I could, That's how he did I could 31 never, homers? I could never figure it out. He had help. And it's like, no, it's it's not just that. Like This is, for some reason, this is a player that I continually get wrong, and it's driving me nuts. Yeah, I think hit tool is a little bit like um, uh, a command, too, where it'll help you reach your highest possible outcomes. So, um you also have to look at Guriel in the context of where he was last year. So his barrel rate right now is a uh, 36 percentile, but last year it was, well, I'm getting messed up because I got a fan graphs number here, I think, but it was worse. It was, uh, I think it was in the twenties. Uh, so he's improved that. And then he also improved his reach rate. Uh, you're seeing uh, 45th percentile here on reach rate. Uh, and it was like 25th percentile the year before. So, I mean, these are the two things that matter in small samples. Uh, we have a demonstrated track record of great hit tool. Uh, we have had some really great power seasons from Guriel. 
I would uh, I would take the over on the batting average projections, which are all around 269. First of all, his career batting average is 289. And I think they're reaching too much into 20, 2020 to, to uh, get that 260, 270 number. And then um, uh, I'm a little bit more divided on this. What do you think, uh, if I gave you an over-under of 16 more homers? Oh, I'm dumb, so I'll take the under. <laughs> so if you are betting on that, you should absolutely go opposite me on this one because I think I've been wrong on Yuli Guriel at every possible turn so far. Yeah, I, I don't think I've ever really had a share. <laughs> I have him on one team this year, and it was desperation, needed playing time at first base. Last first base. Yeah, I didn't feel like I was, oh, yeah, he's 36 now, and you know I'm sure he's going to get better. Uh, I kind of thought it was the beginning of the end last year. and This is a Cuban legend, dude. Yeah. This is this is a guy who, and and not just Cuban. I mean, it's pretty cool that he just stepped onto the field. He didn't have that many minor league years, and he steps onto the field, uh, with Houston in his first year and is able to sit, uh, you know, basically league average and then improve on that the second year. So I think it's a lot of hit tool. It's, it's, uh, that's basically his only tool. It's working for him. And in that park, I think you can get away with some things. We've seen that in Alex Bregman's numbers to some degree, too. Not as extreme, of course, with the Over lower barrel, barrel rates. Right. Yeah. A guy that yeah. overshoots it because he, he fits the park or adjusts to the park so well that he gets the most out of those Both tools. Right-handers that can deposit homers into the Croft Ford boxes. I always want to call it Crawfish. Yeah, I do too. I think that'd be an improvement. They should call them the Crawfish boxes. I like I like Crawfish. I want to eat some Crawfish. I I do too. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, you know, let's move over to the pitching side. Plenty of risers so far in that group, and we're going to focus on starting pitchers since we're going to have a separate closer segment here in just a little while. And I think we have to begin with Carlos Rodon, who's made it the long way back from multiple arm injuries to not only throw a no-hitter, but just look like his old self again in terms of velo, in terms of the fastball slider mix. Throw some change-ups in there too. This is the Rodon I saw several years ago in spring training that I was pretty excited about. So just from a pure human standpoint, it's nice to see him back at this level again. The stuff number checks out. You know, stuff plus, you got him at 108 right now, which is really encouraging. Command plus, not quite there at 91, but not atrocious either. Is it really just a matter of health at this point for Rodon if he's going to sustain something that makes him a viable fantasy starter over the remaining months of the season? You know, one thing that is interesting too is that the changeup is uh, shows up poorly with an 87 stuff plus, and he's been throwing it less often. Um, we've seen some pitchers make it, uh, he, you know, sort of five percent uh, change in his in the changeup. That's the you know along with the command. That's what makes me pessimistic. Uh, but I still put him in my top 60 going forward as soon as I saw. 
two things, velo up two miles per hour, you know, um, and uh, just that the slider was back. 145 stuff plus on that slider. So <laughs> the model really loves the slider. Nasty. And it's a good one. And it's it's what makes it makes him makes it go. That's what made him throw that no hitter. So I think they will have some bumps in the road, but I and and I when you when I give a guy a round, ranking of 60, there's probably some weeks I wouldn't want to start him. Uh but I also don't know exactly what those weeks are. I mean, he, he he's going to pitch at home in in Chicago. You're going to not pitch him at home. Because that's a kind of a tough park. Maybe once the weather is consistently warm and it's getting there, yeah. like, you can be a little careful at home occasionally. Really, I think the matchup you worry about the most is Minnesota. They've got a few right-handed boppers. That would be the most common matchup he sees where I would be planning on sitting him. And maybe that changes over the course of the season based on injuries and other factors. But otherwise, he's probably in my lineup in most mixed leagues for just about every other start that comes around. Also, a bit of a cake schedule at times. You know, he gets to go into Cleveland, gets to go in Kansas City. I know Kansas City's offense is better. I know, I know, I know. It is better. But but that park still suppresses offense. So, you know, it's still a nice place to pitch. Yeah, I would still look at Kansas City, even if you buy into all the improvements. And they are going to get Mondesi back eventually, and they may bring up Bobby Witt Jr. Are they much better than a league average offense? Probably not. I think the park gives you that extra little bit of comfort that you might want. Uh, with Rodon, the projections are pretty wildly divergent. A 371 ERA and a 125 whip from the bat. I mean, if he does that the rest of the way, you crushed it with an early season waiver move or a guy that you took with one of your last roster slots on draft day. At the high end, we got zips at 446 and 142. If you kind of go down the middle, you get the low fours ERA. He's got a 402 for his career and a 136 whip. That's basically splitting the difference at this point. So I'll set that as the the barometer, the line here, over or under the 402 ERA and the 136 whip going forward. Under. Under. Nice. Under on both. Under. Uh, There's a lot of uh, really big uh, homer projections from Steamer and Zips. And he really hasn't had a homer problem like that go until like going back to 2017 and yes you have to go back that way that far if you want innings totals but just in terms of time he hasn't really he hasn't and even back then that was one year we had that bad home run total and then otherwise like 2016 2015 he didn't so i'm not sure that he's a home riders guy i do know that he's kind of tends towards two pitches and and you know could be but um no i i i, I like him i like him and and I think, well, we've got another White Sox on here, but those two White Sox are some of my favorite um, targets, I think. Yeah, well, the next guy we're going to talk about, I know you've liked him for a while now, Christian Javier. Stuff Plus looks good. Command Plus, uh-oh, looks kind of like a typical Astros guy who ends up in the bullpen. The results so far, though, have been outstanding. K-rate close to 33% through four starts. Not walking that many guys, 7.6% is actually a slight improvement for what we saw in the shortened season. We're now talking about a guy who, through his first 75 big league innings, has a 2.76 ERA and a .95 whip. I mean, the results have been phenomenal for Christian Javier to this point. Yeah, and it's interesting that Max uh, Max Bay, in his model, he has a thing called Location Plus, which is a little bit different. You might have seen it on the cards that I'm doing on fan, on on Twitter. Um 
And in terms of location plus, he's not, he doesn't stick out as being terrible. 97 location plus, um, a 92 location plus on the fastball. So not uh, maybe amazing placement on the fastball, but looks like a guy who can control his slider, 106 on the slider, um, and good stuff numbers on the slider, four seam, and knuckle curve. So a good two breaking ball guy, has a bit of a show-me change that he can command a little bit. Um, so I... Location plus, you, just real quickly, the difference between the two is location plus is a little bit more of the model where you just look at where the balls end up and if those are good places to end up. And so command plus is a little bit more, can he do exactly what he wants with the ball? And the difference is that some people um, could throw pitches that end up in the right places, but not always do it right or kind of get, I would say that you could get luckier on location plus than you can get with command plus. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think maybe another example of that would be Tyler Glass now in the past, the guy that doesn't necessarily do well in the command plus metric, but also gets away with his mistakes because the stuff is filthy and tends to miss in places where you can get away with it. Yeah, but uh, Javier versus Urquidy and Urquidy's uh, numbers are a little bit off because he was in Coors. Um, but, uh, Javier versus Rikidi is very interesting because Rikidi was uh, like a, a guy with above average stuff and above average command. Javier is a little bit more like outstanding stuff below average command and it's working out a little bit better for Javier. So, um, you know, but I, I still like a lot, both a lot. I think the temptation for me with Christian Javier is to try and buy high and keep her in dynasty leagues because a lot of the previous expectations for him were more of a swingman or multi-inning reliever. And it looks to me like he can legitimately stick long-term as a starter. I don't think you can come up and have results as good as what he has done so far and then fall on your face so badly that you're quickly pushed into the bullpen. I mean, he's right there at that shelf, though. 88 command plus is just the, the lever shelf is 90. But um, he also, instructively, right near him, Lance McCullers Jr., who doesn't have great command, uh, his command plus number is 93. What do we, you know, do we think there's that level of precision, precision in command plus where, you know, there's a big difference between 93 and 88? Maybe there isn't. Uh, and if there isn't, Lance McCullers shows us the way with Javier. I mean, hopefully not with all the injuries. But, you know, otherwise, uh, <laughs> and McCullers has been up and down. So there, ha- there might be some up and down in Javier's future. But I don't think that anybody at this point is seriously doubting whether McCullers can be a starting pitcher. Exactly. Let's move on to Trevor Rogers. He had some late draft season helium. A little surprised to see the stuff plus number sitting at 93 so far. You were digging into that a bit more before we started recording. What exactly is the issue in Rogers arsenal? Because he has been outstanding so far. Yeah, um, it's I guess it's the fastball, you know, uh, the changeup does do well, which is which is, uh, you know, thank God. Because, you know, change-ups are actually a little bit tricky. Uh, but uh, let me see here. I'm pulling up his player card on this awesome app that Max Bay made for me. It's amazing. Uh, if there was a way to put a sign- sign-in on it, maybe I could make it available to uh, people uh, on listening to this that are subscribed to the... The athletic, but what we've got is change up 123 stuff plus. Love it. Slider, improved slider that he worked on. That that's why he got the helium 111 stuff plus. We love it. Four seam pass ball 78. He's throwing that pitch a lot too. 
A 62.7% usage rate on a pitch that grades out like that is surprising. Well, the location plus, which we talked about, is is good on his. And if you look at command plus, it lines up. His command plus is good. So um, I don't think that this is a 93 stuff plus, 106 command plus is a viable package. I just don't think it's this good. And I think it'll just um, take a little combination of uh, a, a team that's good at fastballs. I think maybe um, that has seen him before. There's a little bit of that arm slot uh, that says to me, oh, like maybe people ha- haven't seen him a ton. You know, it's decent velo. It's not, you know, standout top of the shelf velo. Uh, I could see like he just kind of he did okay against the brewers in miami right yeah actually did it in milwaukee but the matchups have been three easy matchups i would say and two tough ones and holding your own against the braves even though they have not for the young season been a good offense yet that's a good sign 10k is his season high that came against the mets that's an offense Mm -hmm. that can do some damage and he's made his leg he hasn't seen anybody brewers right now are a layup Hasn't seen anybody twice yet, right? Picked on the the Orioles at home, a banged up Brewers team on the road. Six uh, K is his first start against St. Louis. Only went four his first time out, so it wasn't like he padded his ratios there. Uh, it's been very good across the board for Rogers. I, I I look at him going forward. If I were re-ranking pitchers right now, he's probably coming out somewhere in that forty to fifty range for me, and he was just outside the top seventy-five starting the season. So it's a pretty big leap. And it would be you know forty to forty five still with the the green up arrow next to his name because I think he could jump a little higher than that. Yeah, I ended up giving him uh, making him forty six despite the numbers because uh, the strikeouts minus Walker are good. So there's some amount of results uh, that point to that that you can even in the in the small samples to point to, and because um, you know these numbers aren't perfect <laughs> so i still i still like what i see also um there's a lot of value in a guy who pitches in florida just by himself like just 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 the fact that he pitches in florida means that that half the time he's going to have one of the best park situations in baseball yeah a lot of cushion in that home park for sure as it goes with trevor rogers um, danny duffy came up on a show about a week or so ago we got a question that was basically so Danny Duffy looks decent, looks rosterable, and the big difference at the time was that the Vila was back up closer to 2017 levels, which so far it has held up. He's still averaging 93.8 on his fastball. That'd be his best fastball velocity since 2016 when he was averaging 95.5 on that pitch. Uh, but is there anything else in the profile that catches your eye with Duffy? Yeah, I have uh, you know two notes here: plus one point six mile per hour, plus five uh, percent on the four seam, which I think those things go hand in hand. Uh, you get the velo, and you get excited, and uh, you get to to get to throw it more. But I, I am looking for one thing here, which is uh, his velo over time. Let's see if I can do this because when I'm looking at his stuff number in this uh, shiny app, and uh, April 12th, it had a 115 stuff plus. April 19th, a 110. April 26th, a 105. And so I'm looking for something that tracks. So the fastball velo peaked in that game where you had the best stuff number. And it has gone down to 
93.7 from 94.7. But 93.7 is still pretty good for him, right? Yeah, that's enough for him to use that pitch 35-40% of the time and everything else. I mean, it's a deep enough arsenal. Yeah, he's always been a guy with a lot of pitches. That that all kind of works. And I'm encouraged by the command too, right? The command being close to average that bodes really well for his chances of continuing to at least be kind of a league average starter or tick above a league average starter, which plays a lot. We were talking about, uh, you know, using uh, starters earlier, Carlos Rodon in the AL Central, right? There's so many soft landing spots. Maybe when you're not on one of the White Sox or Twins, you've got two teams to be careful with instead of one. But I generally think Duffy is the kind of guy that, at least for his home starts and for any two-start week, you're probably going to go ahead and use him unless that velo dips. Good acquisition, I think, in AL-only situations where probably the person didn't spend that much to get him. Um, and you will you'll have to take some lumps on the road maybe at certain times. But all in all, will end up being a good AL-only pitcher. Um, I kind of think of Tyler Anderson, who looked really good by Stuff Plus and uh, Command Plus. And I just acquired him in Devil's Rejects for Corbin Martin and Chris Rodriguez, which uh, some people might say is an overpay because Corbin, they love Corbin Martin. But at this point in the season, it's really hard to buy with prospects. Um, and I think at this point in the season, is it's, it's actually still hard to make trades in a lot of places because people are trying to feel out what they're doing. Um, and they might think, oh, Danny Duffy is going to be part of a, a great staff for me. But uh, Danny Duffy and Tyler Anderson are both those kind of like – this guy's been around. He doesn't really have any upside. You know, he's just going to play to the numbers on the back of his card. And that might not necessarily be true. I mean, that's why we use these stuff and command numbers to kind of get out in front of, of small changes um, in their in their repertoire. So I think he's a buy. Yeah, Duffy probably feels a lot like found money to the teams that were in deep enough leagues to have him on draft day. And even for teams that picked him up as a week one or week two addition from the waiver wire. Let's talk about Michael Kopech. He looks amazing. We talked about this recently. Lance Lynn's hurt, so temporarily there's a spot in the rotation. But I could easily see the White Sox, once Lynn is back, saying, actually, Michael Kopech is better than Dylan Cease. So Dylan Cease is going to be our multi-inning reliever that we use to keep stretched out and have him ready if someone else gets hurt. And Kopech's going to be our guy who's taking the ball every fifth day. Like that move would be totally justified if they wanted to make that move. Yeah, and it's going to be tricky getting that right, I think, because there's still some development that could happen with Cease. But you look at strikeouts minus walks, Dylan Cease is at 10%. You look at the command, it's reliever-level command. Um, and if you want to win games, there actually is a need. That bullpen is good. But there could be that bullpen could be better if Dylan Cease was there in the sixth. You know, just look at, I mean, oh my God, did you watch that White Sox game that Giolito lost? Was it last night? I did not. They left him in too long, but I didn't oh, see it. Oh no, there was like, it, ooh, Tony LaRusso, man. Oh man. <laughs> he lost. I'm, I'm going to say something here. He lost that game. Tony LaRusso lost that game. He made. Three really terrible decisions, just awful decisions. I mean, he had uh, a choice of Vaughn. Um, I forget who's on the bench. He had three good batters, and he let Lurie Garcia, with, with the tying run on base, he let Lurie Garcia and 
was it Jake Lamb or somebody just whiff two straight whiffs with the tying run on base, and he had people on the bench. He had uh, G. Lito out there doing body language, being like, "I'm done." Like you could, you can see it. Uh, and then Gio even says after the game that I was gassed. Uh, and uh, and Tony Rusa had made this look like, "Oh, he shouldn't have said that." Uh, oh, it was on me to to know that. But he, the first look that Tony Rusa gave in the press conference afterwards was like, "Oh, he said what?" <laughs> he said what? And then Adam Eaton falls down trying to field a, a fieldable home run. He could have caught it. He falls down, and Gio is just staring bullets out to right field. <laughs> I like. Uh, I think the White Sox could win this division, but right now, like, the, I would guess that Tony Larusa does not have his players, and that it is not actually that fun of a clubhouse. I would speculate as someone who has spent zero seconds exactly. in the I White Sox the clubhouse. <laughs> I would guess that they've he's never had the entire clubhouse since yeah. the day he was hired for that job. It was something that he had to earn over time and could still you earn over Tim time. You know Tim Anderson's like, he said what? Yeah. There, <laughs> we all looked at that hire when it happened, and we were all very surprised, and they are a powder keg. And used correctly, that's a good thing. If not used correctly, that's a very bad thing. And and how does that? How does the cease decision fit in then? Would it be like? Could it make you less popular to take cease out of the rotation? It should make you more popular because you're doing the thing that clearly makes your team better. Yeah, maybe. If you've ever been on any team before where someone who didn't deserve to start or have a certain role had that role, and you knew someone better could have had it, you have so little respect for the person making the decision to continue running things out there as they are. But you gain the respect for that person if they actually make the decision correctly, especially when it's the harder decision to make. It's, it's worse with a, like a more veteran player than Cease. Cease well, is yeah. a young enough player where you can just do it. I was going to say, Dallas Keigel. Right. If it were Dallas Keuchel, it'd be a lot harder because the, the veterans in the clubhouse might think it's too soon to do Dallas that. Dallas Keigel right? has an even smaller K minus PV. But he doesn't have the kind of fundamental issues, I don't think. And I don't know if that's necessarily ever that peak was peak Dallas Keuchel ever popping on the the K minus BB leaderboard. No, he's a command, weak contact, really high ground ball guy. Yeah, so I, I think in that case, you know, I'm not that worried about that. He's still getting plenty of outs on the ground. Uh, yeah, wow, that K rate is even lower than it's I really thought. Eleven point three percent. Wow, you haven't seen one that low since Mark Burley. No, uh, he could. He's the new Mark Burley. You know, fit right in. I, yeah, I think if we were talking about removing Dallas Keuchel, um, there might be some locker room repercussions. Um, but I also think, you know, Cease has a 4.15 ERA. Uh, I think we both just talked about the underlying issues, but we don't know that all the other players uh, are, you know, on top of those underlying issues the same way. He's got a 15% walk rate. I think you can justify shuttling him to the bullpen trying to iron out those control issues in shorter stints and it's better than optioning him down to the alternate site that might be the kind of thing that gets some people pretty frustrated if they were to do something like that let's talk about steven matz i'm always skeptical of matz and yes the stuff plus number being 84 will make me skeptical once again even though he's been good so far command plus looks okay at 97 I think part of the problem for me too, Eno, is Steven Matz has a pretty unfortunate track record of injuries. So that also makes me very skeptical that 
even if he's pitching well, and let's say in this case we're talking low fours ERA, league average whip, that even that might not come over an additional 28 starts this season. It might be you know littered with some IL stints or some extremes that are as bad as the start of his season has been good. Yeah. Um, I've brought up the fact that maybe Toronto has a, a slightly different stuff number. Um, you know, I know that's a thing. Um, I, there's an interesting thing here with the location on Steven Matz that his location plus number is better than his command plus. Um, and I think this is a little bit of a theory that I have is that that could be coaching. So if you are consistent, like if you don't have great command, but they're telling you to throw it in the right places, you could have like a decent, good location plus. They have a good knowledge of where you miss. So they're like, these are the places you can aim and you'll miss in these ways and they'll be good. And so his location plus on the curveball and change are good. He's increased the usage of his slider, which is better than his sinker. <laughs> so anyway, he's a 74 uh, stuff plus on the fastball. That's I think that's what it comes down to in the end. It's just not a good fastball. It doesn't it doesn't have good movement. It doesn't have good shape. And it does have okay velocity, but I think when you're talking about okay velocity at 93, 94, I, like we're just talking about, we just saw the Woba on 94 mile an hour pitches, right? I don't think 94 moves the needle for a major league hitter anymore. No, it, it's so much sinker change up right now. I, I just, I don't like the way he's getting these results, even though you're certainly happy if you've been banking these results thus far. I would not expect anything close to this level to be sustained. Let's get to one of your favorites, John Means. What do you see from John Means here through his first few starts of 2021? You know, <laughs> there's, there's, uh, there's this awkward phase uh, when one of your babies grows up uh, and then you have to throw the sell high moniker on them. <laughs> 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 it's, just, uh, it's just a sad moment because... Um, the reality is that every player has a true talent and a true value. And I think that he's over his skis a little bit. Um, you know, if you look at his stuff plus numbers, none of his uh, stuff plus numbers are over a hundred. And even if you want to say, okay, it's a straight change up, straight change up sometimes are hard to quantify. Uh, his stuff number on that is a 54. Maybe that's, maybe that's wrong. Maybe we just haven't figured out the right, way that a straight changeup interacts. I mean, we're not weighting things in the right way. Fine. Give him an average changeup. That means he would have an average changeup, an average four seam, and an above average curveball um, with average command. Right? Yeah. Above average command. And the worst park situation in baseball that's only going to get worse. Uh, not the Yeah, the worst. I think in some ways it's worse than Coors. But Okay, second worst. We'll give him second worst. Because as it heats up, heat, temperature is a big deal. And Baltimore gets hot. And those balls start flying. So uh, I think, uh, what did I put means? I put means uh, 47. I'm just not going to move him off of there. And I feel like you can maybe sell him as higher than the 47th best pitcher. You really have to hope the person who's interested is looking at the career numbers. 232 innings now with the Orioles for John Means. 365 ERA. 109 whip. I think if you're in that front office, he's a controllable starting pitcher that you're trying to shop now because you you probably look at what happened in Detroit with Matthew Boyd 
and you say, hey, if this goes off the rails for a little while, you'll have no value. He's going to be a really tough guy to trade, but if we trade him with a few years of control left, we might be able to get some pretty intriguing prospects back from someone. Three years of control left, and yeah, but don't the Baltimore Orioles want to be good in three years? Maybe not. How good is John Means going to be in three years, though? I mean, that, I think that's the question. So I, let's put him on our list of, of starters that could or should be traded at some point uh, later on this season. It would certainly make sense from but that the would, perspective. But that would increase his, his fantasy value. <laughs> oh, it'd be great. I, I'd be thrilled to see that. Mm, okay, over under, he gets traded. Uh, <laughs> I'm putting it at uh, 15%. Oh, I think it's over. It's more likely than that. Yeah? Mm-hmm. I think it's not it's not quite 50-50. I'll say 40%. You're right, you know. I I okay, so like how many good starting pitchers on teams like this that could be acquirable are there maybe? That the supply is not very high. Like on on like a definite seller? Who's a definite seller? We've tried to trade Max Scherzer on this show, the Pirates. Tyler Anderson's uh, trade or trade not will my trade over under on Tyler Anderson is like 65%. <laughs> Yeah, definitely higher than means. But he also has, uh, I don't know if he has any years of control left. Maybe go to the Rockies and try to get Herman Marquez or uh, Antonio Senzatella. I think if you are looking for pitching, that's the team you should be calling. I think if you were the person who owned that team, you might tell your GM, your interim GM, hey, how about we let the next guy make the trades other than Trevor Story? You know, you kind of have to do something with Story. But the pitching with control left, maybe you wait that out a little longer. Yeah, yeah, you know what? Because right now their COO is in charge. <laughs> Good job, Rock. The business guy, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so let's let's have the COO trade away all our, all our guys. I'm sure he'll get the best back. Without an R&D department, too. <laughs> Prior to working for the Rockies, he's worked for the Rockies for 26 years, I think the article said. His last job was at Coca-Cola. So, you know, zero baseball ops experience, probably shouldn't be making trades. So, you know, just a thought. Don't uh, don't trade away your pitching right now if you are... Uh, I mean, you have some other sellers position. like the Tigers, maybe, but the, but the Tigers don't want to... Yeah, Boyd, but they don't want to sell their young guys. Yeah. Who would you actually rather trade for right now, Means or Boyd? Tyler Anderson. <laughs> nice nice cop out uh means yeah i mean younger probably a little more room for growth more a little VL. more consistency too yeah i would like john means a lot outside of baltimore part of the reason i've been so hesitant to believe this entire time is the park and not feeling like i want to use him for more than half of his starts yeah i mean just look at his career home run per nine 1.5 and then look at how like yeah i love dylan bundy now <laughs> sure who, who doesn't yeah so um you know the bat uh projection though 4.4 era 1.2 whip you know uh if that's usable in your league i think he can do that yeah i, I would agree with that uh, but definitely on my list of guys that i think we'll see on the move at some point this season even though i'm only at 40 percent right now that's 40 percent and rising now it's funny to see how much things can change in the closer pool over the course of a month. I was looking back at our rundown from the reliever preview, which we did in late February. And there were at least a dozen bad closer situations that we looked at. And some of them 
I think we were actually right about the best way to go. At least we were right for the first month. Others, it seems like it's so easy to figure it out now that we've seen how it played out for a month, but we were way off. And I wanted to run through and just kind of talk about some of these situations again, how confident we are in what has happened so far. Uh, One of the situations that was a little bumpy at that time was Minnesota. It came up as a question from one of our listeners, and now it's really Taylor Rogers versus the field because Alex Colome has been moved into a low-leverage role after a brutal stretch through the first month of the season. So if you were choosing today, if you were picking the side, who gets more saves, Taylor Rogers or the rest of the Twins relievers combined, who would you choose today? Taylor Rogers. It's got to be the guy, right? He's good. What did we say before? I think... At that time, I said Rodgers being discounted because of Colome as a partial closer made sense because the skills were good. I'm 99% sure that was my take back in late February on this. And I have Rodgers a few places. I still think it could be a share. It could be 75-25. I said, uh, you know, uh, Colomay's got the cutter, and cutter is by I've been wrong about guys in the past, but I'm still going to bet against Colome again. <laughs> Woo! Victory lap. <laughs> no, Rogers is good. Um, yeah. Not amazing velo, actually. 95 for closer is around average. Uh, but in terms of strikeout rate, strikeouts minus walks, home runs, um, I think he'll I think he'll keep the job all year. And good command, I think, too, for a closer, too. So I think that's the other skill that Rogers has shown over multiple seasons. So I'm on the Rogers side as well, but with the caveat, 75-25 split with Hansel Robles or a little bit of Colome if he gets right or Jorge Duffy. Alcala or Duffy. Like they've, got, they've got plenty of good relievers in Minnesota. I He'll like that bullpen as a group. Too, yeah, yeah just, just the way they're going to go with, with Rocco Baldelli calling the shots. This one seems easy now because of the way San Diego has handled it, but we didn't know that Mark Melanson was the closer two months ago. You know, we thought it was... Pomeranz. Some people thought it was Emilio Pagan. I got both Pomeranz and Pagan NL labor, and you know they're fine for NL only leagues, but they're not getting saves. It's been it's been Melanson. So does it continue? I ended up piecing out on the whole thing. (laughs) Uh, I yeah, uh, maybe there should be a mea culpa that uh, I thought it would be Pomeranz. The one thing I would say is that Pomeranz is obviously next in line. He's the obvious setup guy. So. You know, if Melanson struggles, uh, it'll be there. There's the other thing that I was saying about with Calme. Uh, Melanson has a cutter. Uh, cutters suppress exit velo. Um, and so sometimes I think they look better than their strikeout rates. Cutter guys look better than their strikeout rates. Uh, Mariano Rivera is like the big example of that. Um, and then the last thing is that uh, I guess they promised him the closer role when they signed him. And we just didn't know that. Too bad we didn't know that. That, that would that have helped came out us recently. a lot. I was like, oh, oh, thank you. Thank you. That would have been a nice thing to drop somewhere along the line to somebody. Uh, yeah. the, and the last thing is, uh, do does uh, closer experience matter? I just, I've seen people study this and not find it. And I've also seen in this year other examples of closer experience not mattering. <laughs> you know? So it's uh, uh, it did matter in this situation maybe, or maybe it was the cutter. Um, I don't know exactly, uh, why it worked out for Mark, Mark Melanson. Um, but you know, what do we, what are some examples of, of closer experience and not mattering? Um, uh, how about, uh, Kansas city? 
pretty sure it's it's Stomont finally. <laughs> I'm yeah, finally right. <laughs> you are right. I'm I'm taking the it took L. A long time. <laughs> I thought it was going to be Scott Barlow. It was he Holland got... for a minute, but Holland is is his goose is cooked. Wade Davis looked cooked immediately. Yeah. Yeah, I would say that's a situation where experience is not dictating the role. Stelmont looks like their best reliever by far, and they shouldn't cut up saves six ways. They should let him be the guy. My trust level is on the rise for sure, and I think he could be the guy for several years. I mean, he's a controllable reliever that they could have closing out games for three or four years before we start worrying about the stuff really tailing off because he's always had velo. He's always had just pure filth really in the arsenal. It's just been a matter of not walking the world when he's out there. Uh, speaking of walking the world, Alex Reyes has been great at getting saves. He's got a six, one edge over my pick Giovanni Gallegos. We knew Jordan Hicks would be a factor at some point based on the way they were describing him at least in his recovery, but that hasn't, quite materialized yet Gallegos has the best skills of the bunch so this is one where I could see what we've had happen in April not necessarily being a roadmap to what's going to happen in May and beyond yeah it's tough because Hicks is kind of trying to get his his feet under him I thought he'd be uh, my my pick there um, and uh, there's a guy with with experience that uh, that is not uh, running in not 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 taking over the role um, Reyes, the things that I look at are, uh, if I'm looking for a change, I'll look at holds because that's what they're, you know, I'm looking at who's going to be, who's being used for holds. That's the person that'll next be used for saves. And then the other two things I look at, uh, that have been shown, uh, with research to, to have some effect are, uh, velocity rank and strikeout rank. So Alex Reyes does really well by velocity. Actually, uh, I have 84 relievers here that pitch 10 innings and he's seventh. Uh, in velocity, uh, guess where he is in strikeouts minus walks? Uh, I don't even have a good guess, but eighty-one. Wait, yeah, just buried. Not good. Not and, good at and all. even if you want to take the walk part out of it uh, and just make it strikeouts, uh, the twenty-three percent strikeout rate for Reyes is not is not good for a closer. Um, so I I kind of I I I'm not betting long term on Reyes. Uh, I would. I think I'd like to give it to Gallegos. Uh, and when you look at the metrics, uh, you've got you know three holds. He's obviously the setup guy. Uh, Velo rank fortieth, so kind of average Velo, but uh, really great strikeout rate. Um, you know, like a really good one and really good strikeout minus walk rate. Uh, you know, I don't know why would you not give it to him. Maybe because you see more potential volume and you want to just have him ready 7th, 8th, ninth for the best combination of, of hitters coming up, regardless right. of when that is. Like that. Gallegos? Yeah. 13. Oh, you're right. 11 games, 13 innings. All right, yeah. so there's some of that. Um, I'm also seeing uh, a fairly high slider rate, but it's not like it used to be. He was at 51% before, and 51% slider guys do actually make me nervous as closers. Sergio Romo never got the gig, really. I mean, he's gotten some saves over time, but Sergio Romo and Luke Gregerson are my like, oh, man, but they throw so many sliders that, you know, Matt Whistler. I just don't think those guys are going to be closers because uh, they hang one eventually, like homer rates, you know. Um, but I don't think Gallegos is really there. So I think, yeah, Gallegos is going to be closer. Yeah, he's on the short list of current 
non-closer relievers that I think you can roster with the hope of getting saves, but he's also good enough where you could plug him in, get some Ks and ratios, vulture the occasional win as well. You don't want to have too many guys like that, but I think he's good enough and close enough to taking over the role where it's worth putting him on that list. Let's talk about the closer carousel in Spincinnati. Amir Garrett was the guy coming into the season for me. He said issues with walks just hasn't been as effective as we'd hoped. Lucas Sims is dinged up right now. And then Sean Doolittle comes out and gets a save on Tuesday against the Dodgers. So is Doolittle moving into that role a sign of things to come? Or is that an aberration based on some recent bullpen usage? They had to get pretty deep into that pen to get through Monday's game. Like TJ Antone finished it off with three innings. It was fantastic in that game. I don't really know what to make of this situation because I thought Sims was on the brink of taking over before the injury. I'm still going with Sims. I'm still going with Sims because Anton is being used in those uh, multi-inning roles. And I think there is still some interest in making him a starter. Yeah. Uh, Doolittle, Sims pitched 32 pitches the night before um, and had uh, three in a row at some point. Um, so I think that it's Sim's job fairly soon. Let's go to Boston where I was on the wrong side. I thought Adam Ottavino was going to replace Matt Barnes. Matt Barnes has been excellent so far. How about a 46.8% K rate early in the season? Home run rates down early on. Walk rates down early on. Kind of putting all of the pieces together. If this holds up, he's going to be one of the better late relievers, non-top 15, non-top 20 relievers this season. What do you think his chances are of, of holding some of these massive skills gains? There is a fairly large change in how he's pitching and what he's doing. So, and it it kind of lines up with sustainability for me. I'm not talking about like, you know, a 190 Babbitt or whatever, but right now he's throwing the most fastballs he's thrown in like five years. And he's being aggressive, and I think he's not allowing himself to get into these bad counts where he has to throw the fastball. So I think he's just really pushing the, you know, putting the, the hitter on on his back heels. You know what I mean? Whereas in the past he's kind of been like curveball, curveball. Ooh, I'm going to surprise you with the fastball. Except now it's a three-two count, and geez, what am I going to do now? You know? Uh, just look at that walk rate, uh, just changing overnight. Um, you know the high strikeouts on the on the fastball. Like I, I don't see a reason to take it from him. The door's shut right now, as far as Matt Barnes goes. He looks excellent uh, as K percentage forty seven percent. Dude, yeah. him. You know Degrom is striking out fifty percent of the batters he's seen. I don't recall seeing that from a starter in late April. <laughs> Maybe I've just missed it in the past, but that is. Oh, Amazing. God. I kind of want him to keep it up all year because it just would be so ridiculous. He would have struck out half of the people he saw. Well, As anyway, a Barnes is for at 200 innings. Barnes at 47% with a nice 6% walk rate. Just beautiful. Everything looks beautiful. The velo is there. Uh, the aggression is there. I think. Uh, and it's his walk year, right? Yeah. Yep. Might be getting a nice multi year deal somewhere. I don't know that I'm like rushing to give him gobs of money um, at the end of this, but. I love him this year. I mean, Trevor Rosenthal got a, a decent one-year deal. Obviously, got no, hurt. No, Barnes is going to ask for multiple years. He's, yeah, he's going to try to get 
three for 30 or something like that. I mean, it's possible. He's going to try for the Hendricks deal. He's going to try for the Hendricks deal. I don't think he'll get it with the shorter track record, but he's not going to be as far off Hendricks as we would have thought even a month ago if anything close to this continues. Uh, one more for the road. Stefan Crichton's the guy right now in Arizona. He will not stay the guy. Kevin, Kevin Ginkle. No, no. It's not Kevin Ginkle. <laughs> it's definitely not Kevin Ginkle. We just get out of here with Kevin Ginkle. <laughs> I'm looking at a bullpen report now where he's second in, second in there right there. Spin again. Pick another name. <laughs> uh, I think this might be the dreaded. Uh, I think we put this on a, earlier too, right? Just the avoid. It was an avoid, I think, going into the season. It is no longer an avoid for me. It is a stash situation. Who? J.B. Bacoskis. <laughs> J.B. Bacoskis. Not right, Ginkle. Right. No Ginkle. No this Ginkle. Is a Ginkle-free podcast. <laughs> Never Ginkle. Uh, because you don't think that um, that Crichton is good. I really don't. I, I I don't I don't mean to be mean. I just I don't see anything in the profile that I like. Ginkle. If I had to pick one of Crichton and Ginkle, I like Ginkle better. Yay! But the answer there Yay, is... Yay, that's a drop. <laughs> Bacoskis. The answer is Bacoskis. Oh, wait. Am I looking at Stephen Crichton's numbers? Wow. Those are shockingly mediocre. Mm-hmm. What? Wait, wait. I'm missing something. Are you? <laughs> what? He throws 91? And he strikes out less than eight per nine, fewer than eight per nine? And he... Yeah. And he walks what? guys, too. Walks guy, what? He's walked about nine percent of the batters he's faced the last. Okay, here's the reason they won't now. give it to him, because they have no reason to make Bukowski's expensive. But I guess they're above five hundred. They could dream on being a wild card team. Yeah, dude, you're right. You're right. It's got to be Bukowski's. So he's on the stash list for me. Throws a few. Throws three pitches. Mm-hmm. Doesn't have bad command. Ninety four. Huge whiff rate uh, in the minors and here. You know, also, it's interesting. Uh, I remember one of, the, you know, you kind of, we've been spending so much time apart. Uh, you kind of try to remember back to moments we spent together. And I remember sitting with James Anderson and uh, Bogman and Welsh uh, behind home plate watching J.B. Bukowskis. I think two Arizona Fall Leagues, like the. The last one, 19. Was it the last one? Yeah, it, was a lot. I mean, it had to have been 19, I would think. Because he wouldn't have been in 2018? He would have been a D-back in 2019 because that was the year no, that they see, made No, see, I trade. think we saw him in 2018. I think it was the year before. He was still an Astro? And, yeah, he was still an Astro and uh, was watching him, and I was like, you know, uh, he cut the baby fat, man. <laughs> like, I remember him as being kind of uh, short and just, like, bigger. Um, Now he looks like kind of nasty he looks like he's been lifting uh so yeah thumbs up i'm in that's the answer if you're looking for saves in arizona jb because i kind of want to make a drop out of you saying no ginkle (laughs) (laughs) we could probably probably pull that off Uh, if you got questions for us fire them our way rates and barrels at theathletic.com is our email address on twitter he's at you know i am at Derek Van Riper. As you can see on the screen, if you're watching us on YouTube, 
$3.99 a month gets you in the door at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. It gets you Eno's rankings. It gets you all the great baseball coverage we have site-wide. And I highly recommend, if you're into bullpens, check out the uh, coffee and closers stuff that uh, Greg Jewett's doing. It is phenomenal. Dig- digging deep into bullpens each and every week. For Eno Saris, I'm Derek Van Riper. We are back with you on Friday. And I take Michael Givens over Robert Stevenson. Thanks for listening. Ha, <laughs> ha,